playing the comparison game. We're actually pretty, pretty good at that. The company chartered a ship for its top salespeople as a bonus for good work done for successful sales. And these salespeople, they, they swarmed around and, and they loved where they saw on the boat. They headed for their individual cabins. Minutes later, though, one of these salespersons, they were on deck demanding to see the captain. One of the officers asked if he could be of help. My friend, have a much better cabin than I do, said the salesman unhappily. I did a good job this last year, just like he did. And I want a cabin just like his. Sir, the officers replied, the cabins are all identical. Yeah, said the man, but his cabin looks out on the ocean and my cabin looks out on this old dock. Some of you get that? They didn't get that last night. I thought it was a good beginning to the introduction. Now, soon they'll all be out on the ocean. All views will be the same. That's the punchline to that whole story. But it kind of brings up the question of this comparison thing. Have you ever noticed that we are perfectly content with what we have until what? We start comparing what we have with what somebody else has. It's hard not to compare what we have with what our neighbor has, hasn't it? Gilbert Brim, he wrote a book, it's actually a pretty heavy-duty book, simple title of Ambition. He tells about a man who sold his business for $10 million, yeah, and he moved to Florida to start a new lifestyle. He was feeling pretty good about his success. Once he got to Florida, settled into his expensive home in an expensive neighborhood, he ran into a group of folks even wealthier than he was. And they had private plane safaris to Kenya. They had homes in Nassau, and they had a whole bunch more. Now, this rich fellow was completely happy until he compared what he had with what his new and wealthier neighbors had. He said he would have been happier if he had never moved to the Gold Coast. Now, you and I kind of shake our head and said, hey, buddy, come on. We would be deliriously happy if someone gave me $10 million, and many of us would be, until we ran into the person who has $50 million, right? Pretty darn hard to avoid this comparison trap. Every one of us have that, that pull in our lives. You ever been to a high school or a college class reunion lately? This last fall, I was at the 50th class reunion of our first football team, Concordia University in St. Paul. And it was interesting, I haven't seen many of these guys in over 50 years. You know, it's amazing how old they got. <laughs> yeah. uh, it can be especially dangerous for folks who try to find their own self-worth in comparing themselves to others. It's those who were happy, it turns out, and successful in high school, college, and uh, so on, the Brim, the author of this book, said. They're the ones who go to the reunions, you know, the class presidents, team captains, the cheerleaders, the prom queens, and so on. The unpopular misfits who later become successful, perhaps, rarely go back, he observed, because it's too painful for them to remember their earlier failures. Comparing. Sometimes this comparison game happens in families. I know, not yours, and surely not in, in Maisie's family. No. Yeah. But the DiMaggio families, 
Recognize these guys? Recognize, you know the name, Joe DiMaggio, or many of you do anyway. He was a phenomenal baseball player in the 1940s and 1950s. He was a true American hero. Well, when he died a few years back, a Boston Globe photo, 1986, that's this picture, shows the DiMaggio brothers. Quite honestly, I didn't know he had any brothers. I've, I've heard of Joe all the time, but two other brothers who also played baseball? I didn't know that. But their names were Vince, Dom, and Joe. They posed prior to an old-timers game at Fenway Park. Well, Vince, one of the brothers there, he reportedly said, I guess no matter what I do or how successful I am in baseball, I will always be under Joe's shadow. Now, Vince apparently was a fine player himself. I never heard of him, but apparently he was a good player himself. But he was not Joe. Anybody relate to that? Maybe. Maybe anybody in this room compared yourself to another and later regretted doing so? Yeah. Some sad, sad, sad stories can be told. Kirk, Kirk Webster is a guy I came across. And uh, he told about a couple who finally moved into their dream home in the Burbs. They moved out of the problem area where they lived. They moved into the suburbs. And man, were they thrilled. Some sad, sad, sad stories can be told. They moved into this new place in the Burbs, and then they talked endlessly that at last they would be living the ritzy part of town neighborhood. Well, the wife apparently was so worried about fitting in, fitting in with the people of that ritzy neighborhood in her mind, she had plastic surgery done prior to the move. You know, she wanted to look right. Well, the surgery apparently didn't go so well and she contracted an infection. In fact, the infection got so nasty she had to take heavy-duty medication to stop her blood loss. It was the only way she could heal because the infection had, had gotten so widespread throughout her body. Eventually, she lost all of her fingers and all of her toes as a brutal side effect to the loss of blood flow to these extremities. All because, all because she worried about not fitting into her new surroundings. Well, the, the sad conclusion to this true story is a comment that one of her new neighbors made several years after the incident. When retelling the details, this neighbor made a stunning conclusion. The neighbor said, the terrible thing is, we're not a ritzy neighborhood. We're not a ritzy neighborhood. We're just a bunch of regular folks. Oh, that's sad. That's sad. You know, Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers to work in his vineyard, his grape, grape vines. And when, when uh, he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, that was the going rate, whatever it was, and that's for 12 hours work, that's, you got paid a denarius, normally. So the, the boss, he sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, so about nine o'clock in the morning, he went back to the marketplace and there were some guys standing around there. He said, hey, you want a job? Get in my vineyard and I'll pay you what's right. And he did. But the story goes on. The landowner went back to the marketplace again about the sixth hour, so about noon. And then again about the ninth hour, it's about three in the afternoon. Did the same thing. When there was only one hour left, probably about five o'clock in the workday, the landowner went to the marketplace again, found some other men, said to them, Hey guys, you, you want some work? Go work in my vineyard 
right now. It's Matthew 20, our lesson that was read earlier. Well, why this is elaborated on so much by, in Jesus' story is scholars tell us, to understand the background, in Israel, the grape ripened toward the end of September, right about now. And after that, the rains begin to fall in Israel. And if the harvest is not gathered in quickly, what happens to those grapes? Ruined. The guy's livelihood is in disastrous shape. So any worker that the landowner can get hold of is welcome, even if he can only do an hour's worth of work. And so Jesus concludes the story read earlier. When evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour, about 5 o'clock in the evening, came first, and each received a denarius. Well, those who had come earliest of the day, about 6 in the morning, they came. What do you think they were thinking about? Hey, I put in 12 hours. This guy put in one hour. I'm going to get more money. But, the story tells us, they also received each one a denarius. When they received it, they said, hey, thanks, boss. Appreciate the work. Uh-uh. It's not what they did, did they? They began to grumble against the landowner, saying, hey, guy, these last men, they've worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the, the scorching heat of the day. And what's the implied phrase that you and I might say today? It's not... Yeah, yeah. What'd the landowner say? Hey, friend. No. Am I being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Are you envious because I am generous? Well, you know the answer to that one, don't you? The workers would have been perfectly happy if they had not played the comparison game. They compared what they were paid with what the others were paid, and then they were dissatisfied. So where do you think I'm going with this? It's true of many of us, isn't it? We have a phrase for it, don't we? Keeping up with the Joneses. What do you think? Can you find happiness by acquiring stuff? I know we a lot we try, don't we? I mean, if we could just have a nice car or a nicer house or maybe a European vacation like the Joneses have, then, then I would be happy. And of course, the question is, would you really? Would you really? I came across what I think is a great illustration of this dilemma, and I put myself and probably most of you in the same category. Gal, the writer's name is Maya Angelou. She wrote a book in which she told about her Aunt T. It's a true story. Aunt T is a woman who worked for 30 years as a maid and a live-in housekeeper for a very rich white couple in Bel Air, California. Apparently on Saturdays, that was her day off, she'd often cook pig's feet and greens and fried chicken. Mm-mm, the chicken sounds good. We grew up in where we, my first congregation that served was in North Louisiana, and we grew greens, and Elizabeth and I ate greens it's not good. <laughs> but apparently, it was a pretty staple, and, and she did that on a regular basis. And she, she'd invite some of her friends over for the evening. You know, it sounded pretty good. Have, uh, remember now, she was a live-in live housekeeper. That meant that her employers would see everything that she did. 
And on many a Saturday, the chauffeur and the other housekeeper and her husband, they'd, they'd come to eat and drink and dance and laugh, play cards in her little apartment. One night during the middle of the whist card game, her employers, the rich white couple, they knocked on the housekeeper's door. And they apologized profusely, disturbing her, for disturbing her. And then they got right to the point. Every Saturday night, they said, you know, we, we hear happy, joyful laughter coming from your quarters. And here we go. We want to be part of it. Would you please leave your door open just a bit, they asked, so that we not only hear the joy, but can see it and experience it and feel it. Wow. The warmth and happiness of their 14-room house and three cars and swimming pool and who knows how much money couldn't quite cut it, could it? Those things couldn't buy them happiness. Well, Maya Angelou concludes or says this, uh, this scene um, in her book, and the book's entitled Wouldn't Take Nothing for My Journey Now. Here's what she said in her, in her book. I draw the picture of the wealthy couple standing in the darkened hallway, peering into a lighted room where black servants were lifting their voices in merriment and camaraderie. And I realized that living well is an art. And this is the part that I like best. It's an art which can be developed, she writes. I love that part. Of course, she goes on, you'll need the basic talents to build on it. So here we go. And this is part of the takeaway for you and me for today. They are a love of life, ability to take great pleasure from small offerings, and thirdly, assurance that the world owes you nothing, and that every gift is exactly that, a gift. I think that is a wise woman. I wonder if that's what Jesus meant when he concluded his parable today by saying, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Can you buy happiness? No, things are nice. I mean, I'd rather have things than not have things. That's fine. But I don't want to base my life and my happiness on whether I have this and how much and whether or not it's the same with you. You know, another misconception that, persons, that a person's worth can be measured by the size of his or her accomplishments. We're going to see it in a little bit on, uh, at noon Vikings, Packers, all that, they're going to be playing. Going to see these young, young dudes out there running around on the field. You know, you're talking 20 years old, making millions of dollars, athletically solid. Uh, and you think, wow, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Well, friends, I hope you can accomplish every worthwhile dream in your heart. I really do. But be assured, such accomplishments are not going to increase your essential worth. Those guys playing today are not better or worse than anybody else. You know, there are people who, because of their limitations, many kinds of limitations, can't even hope to accomplish nearly as much as you or me. But that doesn't diminish their essential worth one bit. I came across a final story I want to share with you. It's about a, the rebel troops in the country of Colombia. This is, this is uh, true, maybe you've seen it in your readings of the stories. It's, it's not unusual, but it's reported that these rebel troops in Colombia, uh, they would often finance their war against the government by kidnapping prominent citizens and holding them for ransom. Remember reading those stories? Uh, there were 1,800, 1,800 reported kidnapping cases in Colombia in just one year. This is back in 1997. Well, 
Ed Leonard was one of those 1,800. Ed's company, Terramundo Drilling Company of Ontario, Canada, uh, they had drilling sites in Colombia where Ed was stationed, where he was taken hostage by a group of these armed rebels. For 105 days, 105 days, Ed was held in various camps in the Andes Mountains. And then on October 6, Ed Leonard came home. How did he gain his release? They didn't pay the ransom. They didn't send the money. Instead, someone offered to take his place. And you know who that someone was? Ed's boss, Norbert Reinhardt. Reinhardt is the owner of Terramundo Drilling. And when all other efforts failed to free Ed Leonard, Norbert Reinhardt offered himself as a hostage in Ed's place. Reinhardt himself was held hostage then, somewhere in the Andes Mountains until his release earlier that year. Now, if you were Ed Leonard, wouldn't you feel you must be worth something to your company if your boss would trade his life for your own? You know where I'm leading, don't you? I hope you better, anyway. God has showed just how valuable we are to him when he traded his son's life for yours. Jesus came into our world to be captured and killed in our place. He became the hostage to sin. He did so willingly. And although he died a horrible death, he willingly did so to eliminate once and for all the consequence of our sin. He died with the sins of the world, your sins, mine, crushing him. He bore the punishment demanded. He became the hostage to sin. He did so willingly. He bore the punishment demanded in our place. That task was completed on the cross on which Jesus was nailed and died. He died with the sins of the world, your sins and mine, crushing him. He died with the demands of a just God for disobedience and a rebellion against God. And that task was completed where Jesus nailed and was died 2,000 years ago. And when that punishment was completed, what did Jesus do? Something that never had been accomplished before. He came back from the dead. You can't do that, but he did. He rose from death to prove that although sin, death, and the devil thought that they were in control of the world and our lives, they weren't. He is. God is in control of our world, my friends. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead proved that fact. Jesus broke the rules by conquering death, and he did it all for you and me. And because of that gift, we can now live as forgiven sons and daughters of God. God's gift to us, all because of his love for us. How valuable are you? God's gift of Jesus should tell you. My friends, you and I don't have to prove our worth to our neighbors or to our families or to anybody else in the world. The boss, God, traded his life for ours. And that's an idea too deep for us to ever totally comprehend. But it's, a, it's saying nothing else to us. If it's not, it should be saying this. We are of infinite worth just as we are. So don't worry about the Joneses. <laughs> Guarantee they got worries of their own. Quit playing the comparison game. There's nothing in it but heartache and failure. There will always be someone who has more, can do more than you or me. So let's rejoice in this. The God of the universe loves us more than any of us can imagine. And cherish that gift and share it with somebody else. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.